The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy, and today's guest is Mara Rivera, the Chief People Officer at Chroma Technology. This podcast was recorded live at ADP's HR conference in New Hampshire late last year. In it, Mara discusses growing up in New York City as a latchkey kid. She also talks about the very unique Chroma Technology culture. They're 100% employee-owned, and profits are divided equally amongst those employees. And she goes into some amazing detail on the impacts of having a board of directors made up entirely of employees at all levels. So it's an amazing organization. I've never heard of one like it. She captivated the audience, and I think you will be too. Next up on the podcast is the Chief People Officer of C4 Technologies, Kelly Schick. And now our conversation with Mara Rivera. We always have as the first question on the Hedis Report, same one every time. And Mara, you're getting this question. What's an early life moment that informs who you've become as a person and as a professional? It's probably growing up as a latchkey kid. For those who aren't familiar with that term, latchkey kids are the children of divorced parents who grew up in the 70s and 80s and usually in urban environments. And it was a time when single mothers were heads of households and they balanced both work and family just like they do today, but it was a relatively new concept to society at that time. I was born and raised in Queens, which is a borough of New York City. And my mother was divorced, she was young, she was raising two daughters on her own, and she worked full time, and sometimes she worked two jobs, and she went to school at night. And she was going to earn her bachelor's degree and eventually her master's, and it took her about 15 years to do that. And at an early age, maybe I was six or seven years old, I would walk home from school, I would let myself in the apartment, and that's where that latchkey word comes from is that like a key to the apartment was literally latched to you. So I would get there, I would walk the dog, I would do my homework, and in most cases I would make myself dinner. And what that taught me was self-reliance, and it taught me responsibility and even self-preservation. I could have been angry with her or I could have resented my situation, but you know, instead I had great respect because I knew she couldn't control her circumstances and she was working hard to do the right thing. So I think she actually set a really good example for me that determination is a good thing and not to give up on a goal despite a hardship you may face. So in my adult life, when I'm facing a setback, sometimes I think, huh, you know, if my mother could do that, I could do this. This is easy compared to what she had to face. Yeah, gave you that strength, that core. That's awesome. How did you get into HR, Mara? Oh, this is a funny story. Oh, my gosh. So I was a theater major in college. Yeah, mistake. (laughs) After college, I worked for a casting director for about a year, and I decided entertainment was too cutthroat, actually. And I needed stability in my life, and it was too unstable. And so I went to a temp agency looking for anything else. They called me up. They said, we have a great job for you. It's at the New York Racing Association, which is 
horse racing, so Belmont Saratoga Aqueduct, and they said you're going to be working in the Humane Resources Department. Yeah, and I was like, awesome. I'm a huge animal lover, and I went, I'm working with the horses. This is great. And I did all my research about animal welfare and the controversy about horse racing, you know. (laughs) And I showed up my first day, and I wanted to make a good impression. That was me. And I had my PETA button on. And I was talking about the horses and they, they, you know, they're showing me around and they said to me, uh, you know, you are working with people, not the horses. This is the human resources. <laughs> and I had never heard of human resources. I heard personnel. This is early 90s. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So humiliated and embarrassed that um, I went back home. I learned everything I could about it, went back and I ended up falling in love with HR at that point because it had so many different elements to it. It had an element of psychology and social work. That's what my mother studied, sociology. And she went on to get her master's in social work. And we actually went to college at the same time, which was kind of fun. <laughs> and, and so it had that social work sociology that I was so used to for my mother's influence. But then there was that legal aspect and the communication aspect, some drama in there, too, that I was used to. And I'm like, what a dynamic profession. So I stuck with it. And I ended up <laughs> That's a great story. Getting my master's and continuing on. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, tell us about Chroma Technology, the science, the business model. What is it that you do there from a functional perspective? So Chroma Technology is headquartered in Bellows Falls, Vermont, and we're a leading manufacturer and supplier of highly precise optical filters using something called thin film coating technology. So in layman's terms, we produce pieces of glass that are coated with an extremely thin layer, and I'm talking plasma thin, layers of materials that are usually metal, usually silver, that when these metals are coated over the glass, they manipulate the spectrum of light that's shown through it. And these filters are used in a range of industries, such as life science, to agriculture, to even aerospace. So what they do is they help the scientists to see the images that would otherwise be invisible to the naked eye. And an example I think that we can all relate to is the PCR machine. PCRs are these machines that detect viruses, specifically the COVID virus, very, very accurately. So during the pandemic, where a lot of other organizations were laying off employees, our order request just went through the roof. So much so that we ended up increasing our workforce by 60% and moving our production to seven days a week just to keep up with the demand. What Chroma does and how they do it from a physics perspective is absolutely fascinating. However, it's the structure of Chroma's governance and our culture as a business is, I would say, just as fascinating. Why don't you share how the organization is structured? So we're a 100% employee-owned company. We're also a B Corp. We are a best place to work. We are a best for workers by B Labs. We won an award for growth. A lot of awards, I swear I can't even keep them straight at this point. Chrome is the third employee-owned company I worked for, and I have to say it's the most egalitarian. 
And to understand what I mean, you have to understand Chroma's history, how it was founded. A bunch of employees were working at another optical filters company, and they didn't like the way management was running the company. They didn't like leadership. They didn't like the hierarchy. They felt like they were giving 200% and weren't reaping the rewards. So they said to themselves, there were seven of them, we're going to start our own optical filter company and create the type of company we want it to be for the employees. They talked about it and what happened was one of those employees actually got fired and that drove them said, okay, now's the time to do this. And so they did it and they created this organization of 100% employee owned, but there were only seven of them. So that made sense. They were all paid exactly the same. It was 30 years ago, like all $30,000 a year. They all made decisions together. And that's great when you're seven employees, but they started growing because they were so successful, but that yet those were their core values and they wanted to keep it. So we're talking 50 employees still paid the same still shared equally in profit sharing, very flat, no managers. And it started to get out of control. It was very hard to move the business forward. So they started tweaking it a little bit. It is very difficult to create a business in a bubble like that when you're dealing with a capitalist society, right? So they built kind of like this socialist model, but they have to deal with market forces, right? Not everybody out there gets paid the same. If you want to attract talent, you're going to have to pay them what they're worth, not what is internal equity. They created a salary structure to make that work. They did hire managers in or elevated some of the managers into the management level, started training them, eventually brought in a C-suite that I'm part of. And so now we're at an interesting point where employees are saying, are we becoming too corporate? Are we getting away from our foundation now that we're putting all these things in place? So the executive team actually reports to the CEO and the CEO reports to the board, which is a typical model, but the board of directors is made up of all employees. So it's very interesting and circular, right? And so how employees get onto the board is by vote. So it's one vote per share. The longer you're with the company, the more shares you have. So yes, it's true that the longer tenured employees have more influence, right? Because they have more shares, their vote carries more weight on who gets voted into the board. But you can think of it almost as a popularity contest, right? If you just take 200 employees and you want to nominate someone and people vote for it, that person gets on the board. And so what we have right now is a mix of someone from IT, someone from the shipping department, of someone in our accounting department, one engineering manager, and two of the original founders. This is mind-blowing. So they have the power to hire and fire the CEO. Correct. The employees that might be reporting several layers down. Correct. Not only that, but the board early on, before we had management and a C-suite, was pretty much the operational leadership of the company. So they were also doing kind of the day-to-day setting policy. And what has happened as the company has grown and we brought in experts, the board, because of the bylaws, hasn't changed, right? They haven't adopted with that. So we are at an interesting 
point where the board writes policy, approves policy, approves benefits, but then we have a head of people and culture, chief people officer, yeah. who <laughs> whose job is to do those things. And so now we're at a point where who protects the culture of PROMA? Right. Is it the board made up the employees or is it the executive team? Right. And especially a human resource expert. So that's where we're struggling. Right it's now. interesting. I would imagine transparency is just a big pillar of the corporate culture. People know what each other are paid, right? Pretty close to it. They know what tier they fall in yeah. and the tier has a range of salary. So they certainly know, know that it used to be very transparent. Right. They're not as transparent on that, but they want to know that information. They want to see everyone's job description. We have everyone's job description posted online where they can see it. They have access to the financials. They have access to a lot more information than a typical organization because we're employee owned. And that's a good thing because right now when traditional companies are struggling to hire, we have no problem. We're having no problem because our organization is so people centric. For example, you practically don't pay anything for benefits and it's not a high deductible. It's like a simple copay. Dental is free. Life insurance is free. No other organization can compete with that. And the reason why that is, is our board of directors are employees. And right. we say, where do we need a cut? You know, in order to afford, don't touch our benefits. Right. Whereas social organization, they're very quick to cut things that impact employees. So could you talk about some of the successes of this model and the culture that the organization has? How does it manifest itself in success? We have an incredible amount of engagement. Our profit sharing is equally distributed to employee owners. There's no differentiation between what the CEO receives in profit sharing and what someone on the production floor receives. And they receive the same dollar amount in cash and the same number of shares in stock each year. So this really sends the message that everyone at Chroma, regardless of title, is equally valuable to the company and contributes equally to the business's success. So when you have a workforce that lives and breathes that ethos, you have a really committed team. Is there something that you could point to, something that happened or that just happens all the time that's different that you can just point to and say, this doesn't happen in other organizations that I've been at before because of all these things you just described? Our turnover rate is extremely low and we rarely encounter hiring challenges. And as an HR leader, I don't encounter what some of my counterparts do at other companies like quiet quitting or the great resignation, even having to compete for talent. Even internally, I don't have to fight for a budget to support the people and culture initiatives that I think bring value. There never is hesitation to financially support training or people development or talent acquisition. It's just that front of mind at Chroma. I'm sure all of us are thinking about the challenges that this structure <laughs> might cause. A challenge that keeps me up at night is thinking about if we ever get to a point where the company takes a turn for the worse and is not doing well, let's say technology changes in the world and optical filters become obsolete, are we ready to pivot quickly to stay relevant? Are we ready to stay ahead of that curve now? Will we be forced to make some hard decisions about our people? And, you know, will those decisions be in direct conflict with our foundational values? They may be. And I really hope I never have to see that thought become a reality.
I'm curious. None of us are probably going to ever work in a company structured exactly like yours. But I wonder if there's anything that you've learned in this culture that we can take back. Yeah. Employees care more about one another and this sense of equality and support of one another than you realize, I think, especially with this younger generation. Well, here we are at the ADP conference. How are you using technology to further what you do in people strategy at Chroma? I think technology is going to take off faster than we can imagine, and it's going to change the way we not only work, but the way we live. And I'm seeing things like keynote speakers using like real-time data polling in their presentation. They're actually engaging and getting data right in that moment. And I'm actually going to steal some of what they're doing because I do employee roundtables at Chroma in the moment, you know, post questions to employees. It's anonymous, you know, pop up on a screen what they're feeling, what they're thinking. So it's a safe space. They can give you that real-time data, but it's still anonymous. And you can see how, how they're feeling and react to that. How are you using technology to develop people and develop managers and leaders? So we just launched a learning and management module. We're using ADP to do this. Chroma is split eh, roughly 50-50 between a hybrid workforce and on-site. And so we have to meet employees where they are. They have not focused a lot on learning and training and development at Chroma, to my surprise. And they are eager for it. They're like, please, I want this. And so we developed this corporate university model. It has all these building blocks to it. So we're going to do online learning through ADP, something like 40,000 courses that we're curating and narrowing down that's going to fit our needs. We're doing on-site classes. We're supporting those who are going back to college or want to pursue a college degree, those who are still carrying debt, loan debt, and paying that back for them so they're not carrying that any, any longer. This year, I'd say it's a larger focus on that more than any other time. And it's going to be a broad spectrum of learning. Mm -hmm. It's going to be everything from unconscious bias that we talked about earlier with True Session to more of the technical physics of building optical filters to what does it mean to be a leader in today's day and age? And that's a lot of work. Imagine doing all of that for 200 employees. It's going to be a lot, yeah. but it's going to be so worth it. And what it means to be a leader at Chroma is very different than some other organizations. Yeah, that's a great point. Right. Yes. So predictions for the future. You talked about how you want to use tech, how you're using it now. What do you predict? Ten years down the road, where is human capital technology going to be? And If you asked me two years ago about artificial intelligence, I'd be like, what? That's like some type of movie fantasy. Um, no, I think that is going to do our recruiting for us. Mm. I think it might attempt to cut out that unconscious bias if we have a computer help us doing that hiring. More objectivity, sure. Um, yeah, for objectivity. We need to be careful with that because it's humans who program AI, right? And so how do we take out their own unconscious bias and not put it into the AI system? Mm -hmm. I think privacy issues is something human resource professionals are going to have to pay attention to. Is there a concern that's looming around privacy or just in general what in, we're seeing? 
in general, all our data, all our personal information is now out there mm -hmm. that can be hacked. So it's a combination of privacy as well as this cyber warfare that we have to watch out for. Not only our businesses, but our employees can be compromised. I think that's going to be very important in the future for HR professionals to understand and protect their employees from that. Mm -hmm. And I think machine learning is going to be another big one where it's controversial because some will say with machine learning, employees will lose their jobs because machines will take over. And some will say it will morph and these employees will develop new skills that will replace the manual stuff that they're doing today and might elevate them, maybe programming the machines rather than doing the work themselves. Mm -hmm. It might happen in my lifetime, it might not, but it's good to be ahead of the curve. We produced this podcast in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association, and we always have one question from NERA, and yours is, if you could write a letter of career professional advice to your 25 or 30-year-old self, mm. you know, dear Mara, what would you write? One is ask more questions. And when I was 25, I didn't ask enough questions. I thought that would make me look stupid. I wanted to appear like I knew my stuff. And so I never asked anything and it actually slowed me down because then I would like run home and we didn't have Google back then. Like you can just Google an answer. I had to like talk to other people and then do it all under the radar. And looking back now, now that I'm in a different position in my life where I'm mentoring others, I look at those a younger generation who asks questions and I go, oh my God, how smart are they? They're so engaged. Asking questions shows engagement and interest in learning and evolving yourself. And I didn't know that back then. And the second thing is not to connect your identity to your company. I made that mistake. I was dying to get into this company. I wanted to work for this company. I ended up getting hired. I worked for them for a number of years. I turned the culture around. I gave it 200%. My family came second. My health came second. Work was everything. They laid me off. I was devastated because I lost my identity. I was that company. I, who am I if I'm not the chief people officer of blank? I had to get out of bed the next day and go on with my life. And so personal branding, it really is about developing your identity as your achievements, your skills, what differentiates you from others, that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And that is something that makes you feel really good. So the next time I get laid off by a company, I won't feel so bad about it because nothing will be lost. Right. That's good. Good advice. Both of those points. And in your first point, it reminded me, I saw this career expert speak at Harvard Business School. And he talked about the power of questioning. He was talking about giving advice to people that are networking for new jobs. And he talked mm -hmm. about how you move from being very interested, asking a lot of questions and listening. And when you do that effectively, you become more interesting. You stay interested, but there's a progression there because you have learned so much and you're so connected to what's going on. Yes. And you have absorbed that and you could share that back with people that you're networking with for, further. So that That's just reminded great. me of it. And people love to be asked questions. Right. They love to be seen as an expert or like, oh, wow, they want my opinion. It makes other people feel good. And I've learned that lesson also. What do you hope to not leave undone 10 years from now in your career? I want to make sure that I develop 
and mentor someone that have an influence on their life. I'm kind of past the point of, you know, it's all about me. It's all about my achievements. I think what will make me feel really good and like here I've achieved it is if I could see somebody else grow into a role quicker and get there faster than I did. Ah, that's good. Yeah. That's awesome. How are you recruiting talent and using different methods to recruit talent? So we're using the traditional way, the glass doors, the Indeeds, all of those places. We're targeting schools and depending on the role too. If it's somebody we need, like an engineer with specific expertise, sure, we do Glassdoor and Indeed, but we do more sourcing. LinkedIn has been phenomenal for that. And that's basically reaching out to those passive candidates who aren't looking for a job, right? Before COVID, I would have a hard time convincing my peers in, in the executive leadership at Chroma to look for people in, in California and will stay in California. Now, now it's much easier. So the world has opened up to us in terms of talent. We don't have to look in Bellow Falls, Vermont, and we can go to where people are. So that's been super helpful. The question was from Drew about the governance structure and how that might impact being acquired and some of the dynamics around the covenants. Our bylaws, and because we're employee-owned, if uh, somebody wants to acquire us, it would be a vote by the employees and it would be weighted by how many shares they have. And you become an employee owner once you've been with the company a year. But if the acquiring business, unless they say we're committed to employee ownership, I don't think they would get the vote. What are you reading these days? Any book <laughs> recommendations? Renee Brown, she is fantastic. She was recommended to me. Atlas of the Heart, if you love language and communication, and emotion. You got to read this book. I finished that one. Right now I'm reading a book called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. So I read leadership books, but I also, I mix science and history in it too. So this is more about history. It's by Harari. It's the same author who wrote Sapiens, talking about the future of technology. He's making predictions about the future. Um, he's a professor in Israel. Some of the stuff what he says is pretty scary, but it's good to keep this stuff on your radar. When COVID hit, I picked up a book called Immune by Detmer, and it's a description of your immune system. And it's like a science textbook, but written in layman's terms. So it's fun to read and it explains how your immune system works. I was floored. It is so complicated. It is so mind boggling. I don't know. It just opened my eyes to what our bodies are capable of doing. Compared to your other companies that you've worked at, are there any unique traits or characteristics that you look for in your employees bringing them to grow we do something called Lominger. That's an old term. It's now Corn Ferry. We do their competencies. Chroma hires in teams. Again, different than other organizations. We have a hiring team for every single position. It's really important for them all because it's a team to be on the same page of what they're hiring for, right? You don't want one person in the team to think, oh, I'm looking for this, and another person looking for this, and then you get to hiring someone and you're all off. So I put them through a process of identifying what are the top competencies for this job, come to agreement, and then we hire for that person. I thought for each job, they would be completely different. 
they are almost the same repeated for every job. And it's things like trust, somebody who is ethical. So it's things like that that you wouldn't typically put on interview questions. Mm. And it just kind of repeats itself whether we're looking for a you know coding technician or the new CFO. And I think it just speaks to the values of the organization right. that they're looking for. Very consistent. How would you recommend somebody start with personal branding who doesn't really focus on that typically? Taking some assessments, some self-assessments to help you develop the language of who you are. So I took the MBTI years and years ago and found out an INFJ. I learned a lot from that because I always thought I was crazy and weird. And then I read about INFJs and they're like, oh yeah, and they typically think that they're crazy. And I'm like, oh my God, that's me. And there's others like me. But what it told me was my strengths. They were like, your crazy and your weirdness is really good. And this is why it's good. And this is how you show up in front of other people. And so then I started saying, okay, so this is a strength of mine. And I'm going to develop that strength. And I'm going to learn to focus on that. And it helps you give you just some of the language to talk about yourself. Well, thank you, Nate and ADP and Mara. Thank you for being a guest on the Hennessy Report by thank Keystone. Thank you. And, My pleasure. Uh, thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.